Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Mint Door Podcast. I'm Dr. Laura Schwint. And I'm Dr. Karen Tyndall. And today we are honored to bring on our podcast, Dr. Cynthia Falepa, a Latina army dentist and mom with a unique and inspiring story. Raised in Queens, New York with a strong Latino influence, Dr. Falepa achieved her dream of becoming a dentist and served in the U.S. Army. During her deployment to the Kuwaiti desert, she met her husband, a fellow serviceman, and together they have been married for 15 years and are raising a special needs son. Dr. Falepa's son has faced numerous challenges, including brain surgery to remove a third of his brain due to intractable seizures and complications that left him with cerebral palsy. Despite these struggles, Dr. Falepa remains dedicated to her role as a special needs mom, an advocate, case manager, and wife and makes the most of the time she has left with her loved ones by filling it with authentic experiences, love, and laughter. So Dr. Falefa enjoys making pizza, weightlifting, and dancing in her free time. Tune in to the Mint Door podcast to hear more about her journey, the triumphs and challenges of military life, and parenting a child with special needs. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and we are live here on the Mentor Podcast with Dr. Cynthia Filippa. Thank you, Dr. Filippa, for being here with us today. We are honored that you have chosen to spend some time with us. Happy to do so, Lauren and Karen. I'm very happy to be here and uh, with the Mentor Podcast. Awesome. Okay, so well, we're going to get right in there, and uh, I know you were looking forward to answering our rapid fire questions. No. <laughs> where we're going to go first. Um, so I'm going to start off and then Laura and I will just popcorn between us and you tell us the first thing that comes to your mind when we ask you these questions. Do you hair dry or air dry your hair? Definitely air dry. <clears throat> okay. Um, yeah. Do you prefer heels or tennis shoes? Uh, heels, but for visual purposes, not for functionality. <laughs> <laughs> Would you choose to wear yoga pants or jeans? Uh, yoga pants. Yeah. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Oh, early bird. Military has done that to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Would you rather go visit the mountains or the ocean? Oh, always the ocean. Yeah. Are you a breakfast person or a no breakfast person? No breakfast. Okay. Yeah. If you had the choice, would you like to eat in or eat out? Eat out. Someone else is cooking and cleaning. I'll take it. <laughs> nice. Um, how about going to the movies or staying home with Netflix? I'd say staying home with Netflix. Yeah. And if you get a chance to read, would you like to read on a Kindle or on a book? Audible. Always Audible. <laughs> That's our third option for that one. <laughs> awesome. Um, cat or dog? Uh. I'm torn. Uh, I would say dogs because they're more affectionate, but we have no pets mm -hmm. and I've had both dogs and cats. Um, I think just dogs are a little bit more, you know, emotional and cuddlier. That's all. And when you're on your meal out in your restaurant, would you order a burger or salad? Oh, <laughs> depends what my weight is for the day and how well my clothes are fitting. <laughs> But I would say um, I, uh, I'd i probably go with a burger. Yeah. Awesome. 
And when it comes to the weekend, are you a Saturday girl or a Sunday girl? I think I'm a Saturday. And I don't think anyone has answered Sunday to this question. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Friday or Saturday might be the the question. But anyway, but yeah. (laughs) Takes us to those Sunday scaries maybe, right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, those were fun. Thanks for uh, warming us up with those questions, um, giving us a little insight into you and your personality. But our first official question is, we're curious, what inspired you to join the military and become an Army dentist? And how did your career in the Army shape your personal and professional development? Oh, I could... Gosh, I think I can go on for a long time period, especially with the second part of that question. Um, it's a very deep question, I think, especially that second part. That first part I can answer within two minutes. And um, So I joined the military because they offered a scholarship. And the scholarship is a fantastic scholarship. And uh, Laura and Karen, I, I don't know if you were aware of it at the time you were applying to school. I became aware of it from a college professor who told me about uh, the scholarship specifically through the Navy. And I looked into it and I found the Army, not necessarily the Navy. Um, But the scholarship offered to pay 100% of the tuition. And you can go to any school you want to go to. So they don't dictate the school you go to. There was no requirement for a GPA maintenance. Um, on top of that, they pay for 100% of your books, uh, your loops, and they give you a living stipend every month. And at the time I went, which was in 1998, the living stipend was about just under $1,000 a month. And I think it's gone up to now maybe above of $2,000 a month. And so I think to a dental student, I mean, this is a very attractive offer. Then, you know, what I had to do was, okay, give four years of active duty, and then I could leave if I want. It sounded like a dream come true to me. It sounded like a really great offer uh, to pass up. Um, And because finances were kind of, we, my family struggled with that growing up. Um, It was something that it was just a very clear decision to at least apply for it. Because the worst case, I don't get it. And well... We'll look at other opportunities or look at other resources that are available. Um, now, how it shaped my personal and career life after I joined the military, I would say um, it's opened so many doors. It's I've grown so much. It's taught me so much as a person individually. Um, and it seems silly. You know, I think about it all the time, actually. I look back and I say, how did, how did I get here? What, what, how did, how did we get here? And I think we all do this from time to time. Right. And I think it's important to reflect, but my parents helped me get to a certain point. But after that, I think the military has, has molded me and shaped me and developed me. Um, I think number one, it's made me a better critical thinker. Uh, number two, I think it's helped me understand kind of, um, Politics, and I don't mean politics in a literal literal way, but I just mean like communication, how to be tactful, um, 
how to understand kind of the group goal, the group mission, as opposed to the individual mission um, and how to balance those, how to recognize those, how to offer help and also not offer help when it's not appropriate. So it's just taught me many, many things. Um, It's also helped me appreciate the uniform a little bit more. Growing up, I was, you know, I'm a girl from Queens. My parents are from Ecuador. I'm a, okay, I, I consider myself a first generation American, whether, you know, Latinx, that type of thing. Um, and I didn't understand what it was to be an American. And I know that might sound really controversial, but I, it, it was true. But I think it's given, the military has given me a deeper understanding of what it means to be an American. Um I think also practice-wise, dental-wise, it's it's been wonderful. It's I would well, it's been both. It can be really actually a big pain, but it can also be really wonderful because you're not treating patients with finances in the back of your mind. You're not have you don't have these production goals that are looming over your head. Uh, people do look at numbers, but not in the same way I think as a private practice does, where they're you know bean counters, but. Um, the downside is it's more of a socialized healthcare approach. However, the resources aren't always there. For instance, currently we don't have many dental assistants. So now I went to work after it's been like, I was away from work for about three weeks. I went back yesterday and I'm learning that doctors are assisting doctors. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, it's like, Oh, okay. Do we have doctors doing hygiene, that type of thing. So it's there's the downside too. So the resources aren't always there. You don't work with an assistant for five years. You might work with one for five months. Mm -hmm. If you're lucky, you have one for the same one for one year. So the efficiency isn't there. And also I think the downside is the autonomy isn't there um, as well, because it's such a big kind of a group practice, if you will. But I would say those are the downsides, but if you can overcome that, I think there's a lot of positives too. Mm -hmm. Um, yes. And then personally, I think the military has helped me, well, it helped me meet my husband. You know, I met my husband mm-hmm. in Iraq. So I think <laughs> the army played matchmaker for me and it worked out. We've been married for about 15, 16, 17. I, I don't count, honestly. I don't know. Somewhere around there. We're above the 15s, I think years married. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I, I think, I think those are the ways. Yeah. It's, it's been challenging. I tell you it, it has been, but it's also been equally rewarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a, there's so much in that. And I think the one thing that just stuck out to me at the very end there was you said dentists helping dentists. Yeah. And I know, I know that's like an illustration of there being a problem, <laughs> but wow, that your dentists will help each other. Yeah. Like nobody's got, uh, they're not too high. They're not too superior to do it. Just get in there and help. And I I thought that was lovely. When, if we go right back to the beginning, Mm -hmm. what, what, if you can remember, what was it that inspired you to become a dentist? And then what advice would you have for people currently considering or just starting out in their careers to be a dentist? That's a good question. I, and I think so many people would offer advice, right? I, I, 
I wish I had this advice when I was young applying. Uh, So I was 15 years old when I decided I wanted to be a dentist. And I think back and I look, oh my gosh, I can't believe someone allowed a 15 year old to make a lifelong decision. What would don't breathe, breathe, live, go, go, you know, fall a little bit, go figure out other stuff. But, and that's where I, you know, I think it's my personality to be very determined and to, when I have something in my head, I am going to do everything I can and fight for it and, and claw my way. And if I don't make it, I can say I've tried everything. Right. So I 15, I decided. And why did I decide? I think, um, my upbringing, my mother and my father immigrated from Ecuador to this country and education was a big part of their gift to us. Their, that's what they focused on and we had to do well in school. I mean, yeah, we, we were punished if we weren't, we didn't do well in school and so different from at least the way I'm raising, you know, my child, but it, we, yeah, we had to bring home any, any, 85 and above A's, B's, anything below that was really, really bad. And we were so scared to bring anything home um, less than that. So we were kind of forced to get good grades, if you will. And then with that, they wanted us to choose a profession, either a lawyer, a doctor, or you're getting an MBA. So that type of emphasis was really driven into us because, you know, they came all the way to this country. By golly, they were going to have their kids succeed. So, um, I think there was some of that pressure as well. And so I chose dentistry um, because I liked science and I knew I was fairly good at it. Cause you know, when I've been sitting in class, I'm like, why don't I understand that a lot better than my neighbor over there who usually gets good grades, but she's struggling in chemistry. So I kind of had a knack for science. I figured that out. And then also I really enjoy working with my hands. I really um, I feel like I have great dexterity. I have good hand-eye coordination, um, enjoyed the knitting, the crocheting. I took art classes. So I, I very much have this handsy feel and, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, this uh, handsy things I enjoy doing. But yeah. And so I thought dentistry would be a good fit. And also I wanted to be a mom. And I thought dentistry would allow me to have a balanced work-life uh, schedule and so I think those were things that were important to me. Yeah. And, and then of course there's helping people. So then look, <laughs> you see where that came up. Well, uh, yeah. And then there's helping people too. Yeah. But no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and uh, I smiled when you said you like to work with your hands because I, I know, I know a little something that we're going to explore a little bit later about you that I'm excited to talk about, but <laughs> um, I think like what you said, it's so, it's such a wonderful career for women who want to balance um, being a mom um, with their profession. And I know that that is extremely important to you. Um, being a mom has been kind of a different journey for you as your son has, um, and maybe you can explain this to us, uh, cortical dysplasia, um, and because of that, that led you to choose a, um, a brain surgery for him. So maybe you can walk us down that path. Oh, yes. Um, Yes, I think having a child for professional people, both men and women, it's usually a very big decision when to do it and how to do it. And 
Um, you know, we've all had friends, I'm sure that they have a hard time getting pregnant and they struggle and it, and the child with, you know, when a couple does get pregnant, when it's, I want to say a planned pregnancy, it, it's a big moment and everyone's looking forward and there's all these expectations that we have, you know, gosh, I was pregnant and I remember sitting down talking with my husband about schools and this, and we should live here because these schools are over here. And I wouldn't, I want to say this is probably a fairly common conversation that happens amongst couples. Um, And so that was completely, yeah, uh, changed when we found out uh, my son had a medical diagnosis. So it started with cortical dysplasia and he was diagnosed with that at about seven months old because he um he was having something called infantile spasms which is a catastrophic form of childhood epilepsy um and reading that as a first-time parent on the cdc website is just emotionally devastating as a parent um and so that's kind of what began our journey and it led us down you know trying different medications you know, at one point he was like on four different seizure medications and eventually we, we decided on surgery and he had a third of his brain removed. So the temporal parietal occipital lobe on the left-hand side, and that's a big step. And it's a huge decision for a parent to, you know, to, to make for their child. Um, and it wasn't easy for us, but at the same time, I think, we, we we don't regret it, but also we had such a hard time in the hospital. Um, Alfredo suffered some surgical complications, and with any surgery, there's always a risk of complications. So you always wonder, what if what what if we would have went to this hospital? What do we what if we would have went to do a different surgeon? And as a parent, I hate thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I want to say that post-surgical journey has been probably the roughest because it was such unexpected complications that we suffered or that he suffered. Um, but that's my son right now. And he's been seizure free for the most part. Um, um, he did have a seizure recently uh, about two weeks ago because he fell and bonked his head and, um, and then, yeah, and he had a seizure. So we'll see, we'll see where that journey goes, but that's kind of the life of, I want to say, my life. It's unexpected. It, my life might be, you know, five visits to the ER in one month. I mean, I, I don't know. And, and it, it it's definitely not, I want to say the, the parenthood of a neurotypical child. And I've talked to friends and they were like, well, you know, every, you never know. Cause a child might have issues at 12. They might have issues at 20. At the end of the day, that child has parents and it's going to hurt them if something happens to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that journey, that painful journey has started early on in my, in my career as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been, uh, it's, it's been, I don't want to say difficult to navigate. That's not the word difficult. There has to be a better word. It's, humbling. It's been a humbling journey. That's what it's been. Mm-hmm. It's empowering, but yet humbling at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's 11 now and he's funny and he's quirky. He's an only child. I think we were kind of done after that one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I wanted more, but my husband was said he's done. So, mm-hmm. so that was that unless I decide to, I don't know. 
And unless I recruit, uh, hey, Uncle Sam, can you help me get another husband? <laughs> but no, we were done after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Nice. yeah. Listening to that ad- adventure journey, what it, it, it's it's been so much over those 11 years. What have you found in terms of resource and support systems that you found helpful as a parent of a child? like Alfredo, somebody who has special needs? Um, there's there's many. I would say I have found many resources. Um, I have is one thing that will probably become apparent after this podcast is that I am I don't hesitate to ask for help. I'm very persistent. I'm extremely persistent. And so if I have a question, if I know there's someone who has information that might help me or my son, I am knocking on that door. I am emailing them over and over again, or I'm going there in person. So I think there are communities, there are resources out there, but you have to go and get them. You have, as a special needs parent, you have to be proactive because no one's going to come to your door. Um, they, in the beginning, in the, every state has an early childhood program and they do actually come to your house. A social worker will come to your door and kind of talk to you about the services. And it typically is from the birth to age three. And then after three, the child is kind of uh, belongs to the school district. So you don't have that at home service anymore. But um, there's one community in particular that I think was extremely helpful. And that was the brain recovery project. And they've recently switched their names, they changed their name. And I think the reason to well, pediatric surgery Alliance. Um, And they changed it, I think, uh, because they wanted to focus more on the surgery aspect. Um, but yeah, that just happened. I want to say about three weeks ago that they changed their name and they have been able to provide information on the rehabilitation of these children who undergo these large lobectomies um, and everywhere from physical rehab um, to information about how to navigate the school districts, because that's a big part of the journey of a special needs child is navigating school district um, IEPs. And things like that. I I couldn't have accomplished what I've accomplished in the school district without their help. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yes. And then there's been individual people as well. Like I said, I just pick up the phone and I ask and parents are always usually willing to help and share. Um, so I call it the special needs mafia. So there is that. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They sound like a good bunch of people to have. Mm-hmm. There is, yeah, they they are, and they're it's very mama bearish. But I I think as I mean I think as parents you there is that mama bear, there is that strength, and I think I want to believe that every parent would do that for their child and go out there and research, um, and figure out what resources there are to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the philosophy Greg and I have are we will try just about anything. And if my son is plateauing or if it's not working for him, then okay, that, that will come to us. We will recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will always try to offer him just about every opportunity um, out there to see if it sticks, if it helps, if it helps him get him to the next step. Oh, another great resource that's been out there has have been the school, like local schools. So 
close by to my house, there's the University of Puget Sound that has a PT and an OT program. Mm -hmm. So I've recruited students to come help with my son and work with him. And that's been really great. Um, I also stay in touch with individual, like uh, individual educators that I feel have a good connection with my son. Mm -hmm. Um, So in case I need them either for babysitting or if he needs some extra tutoring, I'll keep in touch with those people who I I think have a little bit of extra talent or kind of skills to share. Yeah. You said, and I'm I'm sorry for jumping in, Laura, but Mm -hmm. you said everybody would be like this for their child. I think, and maybe you agree with me, Laura, that I think what you are doing is, what everybody would do for their child plus something exceptional mm-hmm. on top of it. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what I, I see, like your passion, your devotion, the commitment, the everything to it. I would maybe suggest that like you sometimes reflect and like you are doing an incredible mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Karen. I, um, that means a lot. And I, I don't know any other way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think my husband and I sometimes think we're not doing enough. And I think that's just maybe the guilt. I think that's a little bit uh, something we struggle with. It, but at the same time, we have learned because our life took such an unexpected turn as a parent, mm-hmm. our expectations of life are different. Our expectation, my expectation for myself is different. My husband's, we're, we're all, it's all different, right? My expectation for Alfredo is different. Um, and I think our biggest expectation is to, for, is for him, is to give him the opportunity to enjoy life. Like I've enjoyed life, like Greg has enjoyed life. And we want to give that to him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that means. Um, and I think I kind of, what I was going to say was we have learned not to plan 15 years from now, not to plan 20 years. Yes, there is probably long-term financial planning we are doing. I would say that's probably the exception, but we, if you were to ask me where I'll be in 10 years, I'll be like, I really don't know. I Mm -hmm. I don't know because we're going to go wherever is best suited for Alfredo, wherever they have resources, wherever he feels he can navigate life better. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think those are the expectations my husband and I that we have on ourselves is to give him that. And every day we think, you know, have we met them? Have we not met them? Did we fall short somewhere? Um, yeah. And I would say that it's tough because it sounds like we beat ourselves up, but if we're not, it's kind of like that athlete who's out there training. If you're not push, if they're not pushing themselves, they're not going to get better. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of a fine balance of com- like we don't want to be complacent, mm-hmm. um, but yet well, I don't want to you know make it seem like I'm beating myself up all the time either. I just mm-hmm. I just know that there's my son has set a very high bar for us as parents, and we're just trying to meet it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it sounds for sure like you are above that bar, way above that bar. And um, listening to how this has changed your expectations and how you live is inspiring in that um, I think we could all live that way and enjoying the happiness now. 
and reflecting every night on how can we do better tomorrow? Yeah. And so I think that's beautiful, beautiful advice for anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, it's, I think my son's journey plus the military's journey, I think I've have done a lot of self-reflecting. And I think it's having the time to do that as well. And I know a lot of the podcasts that you have and it is the individuals that you interview, I think it's clear that they have taken the time to do that self-reflection and to figure out happiness, if you will. But happiness to me is very subjective. It's kind of this, yeah, it's, it's a term, but I wish there was a better term for happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, calmness, peace. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of internal work that goes with that. Mm-hmm. And I... I and my husband, we've both had separate journeys when it comes to that work. But I think as a special needs parent with Alfredo's kind of very complicated case, coupled with the military stresses, right? Because my husband's military as well. And between both of us, we've had five deployments. It's been it's been extra, extra. Uh, self-reflection, you know, time for us because, and some of it good and some of it tough, I would say some of my most precious memories with the military are being deployed. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a year away from my son. Well, I should not a year, 10 months. Mm-hmm. Um, I deployed in December, 2019, and I came back October, 2020. And I knew I would probably never be able to replicate that time away. I mean, I was kind of forced to do it. Um, And I didn't try to get out of it because I do believe wearing the uniform is a responsibility. It's a duty and it's a volunteer military. So I know what that means. And so I went, um, wasn't too happy about it, but I made the most of it. Mm -hmm. I went there and I made the most of it. Mm -hmm. And it meant so much to me. And that time is so precious in my heart. And I dip into that time Mm -hmm. when I need strength. And when I need uh, memories of something that, oh, I, I did live my life. I was able to breathe and, and do all these things and kind of have just an isolated bubble of, of, my, of personal satisfaction, career satisfaction, uh, being deployed with a great team of people. All those things, just, just a very good memory. Um, and I, I sometimes tap into that for strength. Yeah. So that's amazing. Um, You know, I would just like to, before we go on to our next question, I would like to say thank you for your service. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been, thank you. I would say it's good to hear. And I know the politics currently are kind of interesting right now. And I, but I am proud to wear the uniform and it's it's it took me a while to realize what that meant but i i do know what it means now mm-hmm. and so um yeah i would say and i think karen you asked me a question earlier about what advice mm-hmm. would i give and i and i don't think i really answered that i think i kind of went off in a tangent somewhere but i think the advice that i would give to a young person and the reason why that memory triggered that your question was 
because I was so, I felt very young when I, I was very young and naive when I joined the military, right? I did it for this reason. And it kind of led me to the scholarship, mm-hmm. led me, led me to the military. But I think no matter what, uh, well, dentistry, m- military, whatever profession an individual chooses to embark in or career, it's, it's an edge. It's, it's a journey. It's a life commitment, especially with dentistry, right? I I didn't think I realized that at such a young age when I was 15, right? Mm-hmm. You're a student for life. You're always learning mm-hmm. and you're always, yeah, having to learn and challenge yourself. It's not just the working and working on patients and procedures, but you also have to take time out to learn and to be better so you can serve your patients better. And I didn't necessarily have that, make that connection. So I think if I were giving advice to a young person or to someone who was considering the career, I think dentistry could be great. It's, it's, I think it's wonderful, opens up wonderful doors, but it's sort of realizing this is, this is a profession that requires commitment outside of an office as well. Mm-hmm. It, is, it requires commitment to being a better person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think is, is that what is, so, you know, is that individual looking for that commitment? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I would, I would, the advice I would give them is go to a private practice, go volunteer in a clinic, go to a community clinic, see what that's like, go and see what the profession is like. Mm-hmm. before making the four-year, five-year commitment to, you know, getting that degree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's yeah. Nice. I don't know. Have you, I mean, yeah. What, have you, have, do individuals reach out to you for advice? I'm assuming some people do or. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love that, that, that advice of lifelong learning because, you know, I look back and I, I remember thinking, oh, if I can just, you know, when I first got out of dental school, if I can just get to the point where I know it all, if I can just get to that right. point, <laughs> I'll be right. happy. And But you never do. No, right. You never do. We do never. No, mm-hmm. it's, and then it changes. And, and then, then it's it like, changes. oh, and that's 50 years. It's like, oh, wait, there's one more bonding agent out there. Hold on. Like, yep. oh, okay. 11th generation. Got it. Okay. You know, <laughs> and so, yeah. And it's so, it is, it is, um. Yeah, we're never going to know it all as a profession. No. <laughs> yeah, beautiful advice. So, you know, speaking of lifelong learning, um, I know that there's something that you have learned to do very well that brings you a lot of happiness, and it brings me a lot of happiness. And that is, mm-hmm. you love to make pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I think you've been <laughs> you've been checking me out on Instagram, haven't you? I <laughs> have. I have. It's awesome. And tell us a little bit how that started. Oh. Uh, maybe give us some tips on how to make the best crust or some the best ingredients. Sure. I don't know. Give us some. Give us some insight into that. I, I think pizza is fun. I think that's probably where it started. It it's fun, but I do know I could tell you exactly how it started. I'm a I'm a girl from New York City and New York City's known for its pizza. Mm-hmm. And and pizza's also known as a comfort food. So when I moved to Tacoma, Washington in 2013, after my son's surgery, right? So we were in California, had that whole thing happen and we got here in 2013, I craved some pizza. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't here. I didn't find any to like that met my standard, at least something that would be like, oh, this is really great pizza. I want, you know, and then before you know it, half the pie is gone. 
no, that didn't exist. So I said, you know what? If I'm going to eat bad pizza, I'm going to make it myself. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to make it my, I was like, if I mean, if it's going to be bad, I want to make it. It's going to be for me. So that's how it started. And so I, I think I, oh, I have, yeah, I have a Sicilian book, like with recipes. And I looked up, you know, pizza and I started with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just got better and better. I started reading books, right? Everything, you, you know, you always have to, <laughs> life is a journey of learning. Mm-hmm. So um, read some books started uh, playing around with the dough, just some different uh, recipes. And I tried, I, I read Peter Reinhardt's uh, American Pie book. And so he's a, a kind of a well-known baker. Mm-hmm. And so I tried each of his recipes, his dough recipes from his book. And I, the one that stuck was the um, pizza romana, which basically is the pizza dough with semolina in it. So it's basically this, like, you know, you have your yeast, your flour, your salt, your water. And this particular recipe just has a little bit of semolina in it. It makes it a little bit stretchier and you can get the crust a little thinner. Okay. So as far so that's kind of how it started. And then it just went on from there. And it was a commitment I made to myself. Part of what you guys do and what you talk about is self-journey and self-reflection and finding kind of something fun, right? That you can do for you or yourself individually. And pizza was that thing for me. Um, and I felt like it wasn't too selfish because my family got to eat pizza as well. So I was doing it for me and then my family would benefit with the results. So it was kind of mutually beneficial. Um, but the one pizza advice I can, or the one tip, um, would be, I think it's about the crust. If you're going to make pizza, if you're going to kind of learn how to make pizza or try it, spend a lot of time kind of figuring out how to make the crust and there's no right way to do it, which is I think beautiful as well. It's not like there's this perfect recipe, but I think it's about knowing when the dough is just ready to rise and you can put it away. I think that's kind of the trick is knowing when you've kind of mixed all the right ingredients, the different ratios and when the the dough is, um, is ready just to let it ferment and rise. That would be it. So I, I was lucky in Kuwait when I deployed, I was able to hang out with the Italians there and learn how to, because they had the Italian army. And so I had a group of about 16 Italians and they had a pizza oven shipped in from, from Italy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. And so as soon as I found that out, I was like, oh, I got to go find these people. I got to go find the Italians. I got to, I got to go work with them. I got to go figure out how to make, how do they make their pizza? So I went and, and sure enough, they kind of took me in and I made, I made, pizza with them a couple of times. And what I learned there was how to make pizza for a bigger group of people. So it wasn't just one little pizza. It was like, oh, hey, we're making 20, 30 pizzas. So that was kind of fun because I got to see how that process worked. And so, um, yeah, so I kind of, yeah, I I know my pizza stuff and it's kind of fun and I, I can throw a great pizza party. And, but you know, when, when I do throw a pizza party, I'm in the kitchen cooking the whole day. Everyone else is enjoying, but I'm usually in the kitchen making the pizzas, which is fine. And every, you know, everyone's eating and enjoying and having, having a good time, but it's, it all works out. Yeah. Okay. So I have a question. <laughs> yeah. Um, both of you can answer this question. Um, what is the one topping that you must have mm. on your pizza? Mm. That's a good question. I'd be curious to know what each of you guys mm. toppings are, would be, you know, what your choice would be. But I think mine, I like simplicity. Um, 
because I think that's, you can truly taste the crust, right? I just said it was about the crust. So I think basil, like basil would be the one topping that I, I like. I, that's my one, my favorite one. It's just a very simple complements the mozzarella cheese and the sauce and the crust, but I don't like too much on it. Okay. Your turn. <laughs> All right. Um, so my first choice would be basil. And, but since you already picked basil, oh. my second is black olives. Ah, that's a good one. Yeah. The, the funny thing in this conversation is both of you have picked two of mine. <laughs> <laughs> so now you have to go together. Collectively, we're going to make a really good pizza. Yep. Um, and I am a bit fussy about pizza, probably in a similar way to you are, Cynthia, that I've always been trying to search in the United States for a pizza that mm. I find is actually the sort of pizza that I would know. I think growing up in Europe and England, mm. um, I'm used to Italian pizza, yeah. of what Italian pizza is like. And there's so many American pizzas that just to me are not, they're just right. cheese. Okay. Yeah. So if we're not forgetting the cheese and you've both taken basil and olives, a really weird one. I'm going to go for artichokes. Mm. that's a good it's a good one it's a good we've I've made a pizza with artichokes I was very pleasantly surprised yeah I like artichokes artichokes and olives and basil let's put them all on my pizza there you go that sounds perfect yeah it is it is you have my mind thinking about pizza now I'm like I know I know I, you know, and I will say that I visited New York and I did have the best pizza piece, piece of oh. pizza from the United States there. I've been to Italy too, and th- there's the best pizza. But so mm-hmm. I would love to come visit and yeah. um, enjoy one of your pizzas someday. But mm-hmm. happy to have you guys over. But since then, I will say a little shout out for Tacoma. Tacoma has um, very improved their pizza game. Mm-hmm. I would say they have a couple of great pizzerias now mm-hmm. since then. So kind of yeah so So you can get a night out for pizza too yes (laughs) yes awesome yeah and and you mentioned briefly but you do have a um instagram account uh that is based on all pizza making is that is that correct and and tell us a little bit about that if anyone's curious about that Sure. I can uh, tell you the story behind the pizza gram there. The, so the Instagram was up and coming a couple of years ago. And I, you know, I have Facebook. I do like my social media, but here's my thought about that. When I approached Instagram, uh, I was like, I don't want it to be a repeat of Facebook. It seems like a waste of time to me. Like you have, you know, Facebook, family photo, and all vacations. Whatever. And then I was like, why am I going to repost the same thing in Instagram? It just seemed so I said, you know, I think I'm going to use my Instagram for pizza. Well, I was like, why not? You know, and so that's how the pizza chinch came up. And that's because that's my handle. And that's how that started was I was like, well, I'm just going to post about pizza. And um, I did. So it's about my my pizza journey, I guess, if you will. Again, I kind of chose it as something fun. And I have videos on there and some of them are goofy, but it was just it was a way for me to let my hair down, right? It's it's an innocent way for me to let my hair down. And it's like, okay, you can have fun with this, do whatever. And so, um, yeah, I post pizza reviews. So if I'm in a restaurant, normally if I see pizza on the menu, I'll usually order it um, and just give my two cents about it. Uh, if I make pizza, I'll post photos of the pizza that I made that night. I'll take pictures of the dough. I'll talk about the recipe a little bit, like what ingredients I use. Um, and I'll, I will include the measurements as well. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of what that, mm-hmm. 
you know, that, uh, yeah, my Instagram has become is more of a, a way to just kind of talk about pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, we will make sure and have a link to your Instagram account you. um, in our show notes. So um, now that we're all hungry for pizza, please yeah. go check it out and you can learn something about pizza and maybe make some of your own. <laughs> um, but in, in, in addition to that, if anyone is curious about getting a hold of you, maybe you said something about your journey, either the military or with your son or, and someone would like to reach out to you. I know you're on LinkedIn and is, mm-hmm. is it just your name on LinkedIn? Is that how people can find you on LinkedIn? Yeah, Cynthia Falapa. Yep. Okay. It's my name on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm very reachable via, via social media. Um, so I'm happy to connect with anyone who has a question about pizza, has a question about the special needs uh, journey stuff. Um, and also about the military, absolutely about the military. Um, I think that a lot, some young people have the military is just kind of this, if they don't have family members that are in it, it's just this unknown mm-hmm. entity and it can be scary, but it doesn't have to be. And I would say as someone who's about to complete 21 years, cause I'm retiring in September after 21 years and I'm excited about it. Um, it, I made it a career and it's, it, it's been good. It's been great. Uh, is it tough? Yes. But I think probably the number one thing that usually when people are debating whether to get out or to get in and, you know, kind of have kind of just going through those struggles, I always say, I think the most important quality is actually to be adaptable (laughs) because you do get thrown into different situations and and you don't have control sometimes of, of what's happening. Like I didn't necessarily have control over going to Kuwait, but you you just have to have an adaptable mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you don't, because some people are are a little bit more rigid and that that's okay. But then the military is definitely, I would say not, probably not a good fit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Adaptability is very, very important Mm -hmm. to succeed. I think in the military. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, it it sounds like you've made a wonderful career out of adaptability in many facets Mm -hmm. of your life. So um, we enjoyed this conversation so much. And uh, thank you so much for being with us today and enlightening us on your your journey and your wisdom, sharing your insight. um, And of course, pizza with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We appreciate you being here. Yes. Well, thank you, Laura and Karen. I equally appreciate your time and I appreciate what you're doing for uh, the professional community and kind of just saying, hey, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to fit in this box. We can make we can make the box however we want it. So thank you, guys. You're welcome. Awesome. Well, we hope you all enjoyed this Mint Door podcast and that it gave you a little bit of encouragement. (laughs) And remember, (laughs) um, we adore you are listeners. So thanks for being with us today and we'll see you on the next episode of The Mentor. Cheers. Thank Bye. you. Cheers. Bye.